Welcome to another Brickflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Joe Yannick. Hello, Joe. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right, I'm all right. We got you on to talk five great British horror films, but before we do, do you want to give us a little bit of uh, a little bit about yourself and your kind of horror credentials, as it were? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I guess I am uh, currently I work for a world sales company, Visit Films. So we are uh, we do uh, independent film sales and distribution in the U.S. Uh, and North America. So I handle our festivals. So basically, kind of like one stop shop for all film festivals. Uh, we're not particularly a genre oriented company, but I do have sort of a vested interest, as you know, um, mm-hmm. in genre. I was a former editor for magaz- for Diabolique magazine. Um, I have written for various places, um, sort of, uh, my personal favorite taste land in genre. So sort of in the film world, that's where I've kind of always gravitated towards. And I'm also, uh, along with Kayla Janice, uh, the co-director of the Miskatonic Institute of Horror Studies in New York. So that's also really exciting and allows me to sort of expose people to different topics in genre film through a bevy of, you know, really incredible instructors. Oh, the, the Miskatonic Institute is a, is a... Is a, is a thing to behold. Yeah, everything Kayla touches is kind of gold. So it's just ama- <laughs> it's just amazing to be there alongside and working with her. Um, she's, you know, as she knows herself, you know, she's a big influence of mine. So it's really great to be able to work with her. Right. Just for the, uh, we've done this in the preamble, but just for the listener, the mm-hmm. uh, the rules are simple. We we've got a list of five, which I've got sat in front of me. We're going to do them in date order of when they're released, and Joe gets five minutes to talk about each film, at which point when the five minutes are up, the Edgar, Edgar Broughton Band will uh, sing out Demons Out, and we'll move on to the next one, so that we don't uh, we don't end up talking about one film for 20 minutes and, and one film for one minute. That seems fair enough to you, Joe? That seems fair. Okay. Clock's ticking, and we'll talk for the first time. 1960, we're going to start at with um, Peeping Tom. So... What is it about Peeping Tom, first and foremost, that uh, appeals to you? I mean, Peeping Tom is just one of those films. I mean, with Powell, it was hard because I, I was considering uh, Black Narcissus. But uh, but I just think that um, uh, Peeping Tom is just kind of more – I mean, Peeping Tom is more of a horror film, I think. You know, with, with the latter, it's like a it's a psychological drama, and you could definitely, I think, put it under the guise of horror. But I, I decided just to go more straightforward uh, – you know, a classic in its own right, only maybe overshadowed by the, you know, simultaneous, the almost simultaneous success of Psycho. So I just really think it has everything for it. And it's one of the most terrifying concepts, too. I mean, I just think that mirror knife is uh, will stick with me forever. I mean, I don't I guess that's a bit of a spoiler for people. But if I don't go into that too much, people won't really know what I mean. But uh, if they haven't seen it and I do recommend anyone who hasn't seen it should stop everything. I mean, this is kind of filmmaking 101. It's it's just a really, really tight, incredibly tense uh, thriller. I would argue maybe that without Peeping Tom in 1960, we don't then by the late 70s have a lot of what John Carpenter's doing with Halloween to make us scared. Yeah, and like, I mean, as a precursor to, yeah, Slasher, the Giallo, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of, it sits all there. I mean, you have precursors before this, obviously, mm. like M, M, I think is a very big precursor of the slasher film. Mm. Um, but I do think like, yeah, this, this is really like apparently there. 
The point, uh, the point of view, and putting us in the eyes of the killer and stuff is a obviously that's the whole concept of this movie. But as a, as a as a cinematic shot shot of choice, it sort of took it to the edge, didn't it, at the time it was made? Yeah, and it's so grisly for for the early '60s. I mean, it really is. It's it's a nasty little film, and I think the you know the black and white really accents that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean it's. Sorry, I'm, I'm divulging a little. I'm going into sort of a ramble a little bit, but I just think that um, there's something about that that obsession with psychoanalysis too of this era. Like it's it's a bit silly in retrospect, but it it made for a hell of a film. I think a, a few hell like a few films that were really incredible. Now it's interesting, isn't it? Because you you mentioned Psycho, which came out I think a few months later, didn't it? And 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 I think Psycho is is arguably held in a more popular view of horror as being some sort of icon of the time. And I think Peeping Tom has always been its kind of ugly duckling sort of re- relative, hasn't it? I mean, Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, a previous a previous guest of Onan was talking about how, ostensibly, you know, Scorsese saved this film from being forgotten about almost, you know, by, by sh- shedding light on it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's novel to say it so much now, but for mm. sure, it's always been it's always been you know in its shadow, and maybe now people hold it in a higher regard simply because it's the underdog, and that always happens. I, you know, I don't really compare them. I think they're both incredibly different films, and you know, there's a lot of similarities, and they're both great films. Uh, I have really no interest in saying one is better than the other, but I do oh. think I do think that you know. Peeping Tom didn't necessarily get Hitchcock's treatment. You know, Hitchcock was a genius and he he uh, really the theatrical release of Psycho is really a testament for how you sell your film. And I think it's it's nothing if not for how they release that film, which is why it's so successful. And I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily fair when people also will talk about how Peeping Tom is a better film and should be. Uh, you know, more talked about. It's like we're talking about Psycho for a reason, and I think that's a worth worthwhile reason too. But but also the 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 the, the critical uh, condemnation of the almost the temerity of making Peeping Tom by Michael Powell was was something that that, that sort of dogged the film, wasn't it? You know, nothing to do with the quality at all, but more the moral the moral outrage towards it. Well, yeah, like I said, I mean, it really is. I mean, it's I, I, I stand by my testament that it's a nasty film. I think it's a nasty film in today's context, mm. in the context of the 1960s, about, uh, you know, on what was being released um, in in cinemas and stuff. It's, you know, it's it is sho- it's shocking. And that's not to say anything about the 60s not having content like this. Obviously, there was. But I mean, this was definitely you can see this is being produced for uh, for mainstream audiences. This is not really produced as like this small film. Of course, of course. I mean, obviously, you know, Michael, Michael Powell had, had had films already in the bank and stuff, so it was like more the deviation to deviancy. <laughs> oh, there we go. That's that Perfect first time. Five. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll we'll ju- we'll hop, skip, and jump five years in the same decade to 1965 for Polanski's uh, Repulsion. So. And by the way, don't worry about spoilers. We're doing a look back, so we we got to assume in some senses there's there's um, there's uh, there's, a, there's a sense of knowing from those listening. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I've always approached spoilers in, in like one specific way, which is I don't give a fuck about spoilers. <laughs> Pardon my French, but uh, I 
think that there's specific instances where spoilers should be avoided and peeping Tom is one of those endings where like, you know, absolutely you should, you should not know the ending. And you know what, to transition repulsion is kind of that way too. I think the, you know, being with the characters and experiencing their, their sort of plight, like uh, plight through the film the first time is pretty incredible on both of these films. And repulsion is my favorite of the five. I think this is, um, you know, I can't say it's necessarily Polanski's masterpiece, but it's one. It's one of them. It's what makes such... it. Good? What makes it so good? He said. I mean, first off, beyond what actually happens in Polanski's life, you know, taking that all aside, um, you know, I I'm blanking on the name. I wish I had it now. But there was an early um, there was an early piece of feminist criti- film criticism that basically talked about the pre the proto feminist films and Repulsion being one of them. Okay. And I think the the reviewer was totally correct in saying that this is a film that is quite literally obsessed with like the, like the male gaze and the, the, and not even specifically that, but the effect that it has on uh, sort of the subject. Um, you know, in this case, you know, uh, Catherine uh, Deneau's uh, uh, main character um, and just the journey that she goes on the way that he, the way that he's not afraid to dive into sort of very experimental, very out there and avant-garde practices, but housed in this otherwise quite typical um, character study is just a really impressive feat. Um, and I think, you know, you get instances, you know, obviously in um, in Day of the Dead, the the dream that she has, you know, you have that nod to Polanski mm. with the hands coming out the wall. It's just a film that is set itself in sort of the climate of of our culture of especially the horror world and it's not going to go away anytime soon i think there's a reason for that even if polanski ceased to be discussed i can't imagine this film going away yeah yeah i mean what what i mean it's interesting because obviously you've got not 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 far away from this you've got the tenant as well of polanski and mm-hmm. and it's interesting to do to do two films that are really just sort of about someone's existential crisis so which is like an, a kind of no-no for films because obviously that's happening in somebody's head so then to make a film which externalizes the madness of someone is uh is is a, is a fairly uh, interesting thing to take on isn't it yeah i mean like the trilogy rosemary's rosemary's apartment uh, i'm sorry rosemary's apartment, rosemary's the, apartment baby. <laughs> the apartment trilogy rosemary's baby the tenant and repulsion mm. essentially these are three films set in the confines of an apartment I mean, they go outside of that, but really they're about the breakdown of the self in this sort of space or, you know, however you want to say about that. And, and you know, all of his early films are these incredible – well, not all of them, but a large majority of these incredible brooding slow burns where everything sort of like builds until the final moment. Um, yeah, and I think that, you know, P- Polanski had a, a sense of humor that mm. allowed himself to, to really – um, flourish in the genre because I think it's they're very serious films, but he clearly is you know dealing with them in a playful manner as well. And it's and and joke we 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 have had this joke on uh, on social media, and it's almost like you look at you look at his work certainly in this period. And Polanski was doing death wave and post horror long before we needed to say these words, wasn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's the whole silly, the silliest thing about post-horror is that, I mean, when that art, what was it, The Guardian was the first yeah. article to really, like, cement it. That yeah. article, you know, no no disrespect to the writer, um, but that article kind of said a lot without saying anything, um, <laughs> because post-horror doesn't mean anything. First off, we're not beyond, we're not, we have not moved ourselves beyond horror. Um, 
it's not the same as like modernism and postmodernism. You know, it's mm. like it's it's a real it's a real sexy term, but it means nothing. And over the the history of film, more I would say that horror the the tendencies we see in post horror have existed in every single decade. There's a there's the populist cinema, and then there's a, there's a rejection to it that happens mm. more in the independent circle. So it's like you can you can find these films from essentially the beginning of. Of, yeah, yeah, because you, you think Polanski's making films against the backdrop of films that have got monsters in and stuff, and that's horror. And he goes, mm -hmm. no, this is horror. Yeah. You know, and like, I mean, the doctor, like... Oh, oh time's, time's up, man. <laughs> time's up on, uh, on, um, on Repulsion. Thanks for that. Let me just... Uh... And then we're gonna we're gonna jump in. Now we are gonna move into a new decade. We're gonna move into the seventies, and I think a very a very different tone in mm -hmm. in horror filmmaking. We've got the abominable Doctor Fives, nineteen seventy one. Yeah, uh, I mean, what's what's not to say about this movie? It's quite simply the one of the most beautiful looking movies ever. Uh, the colors are fantastic. I think um, you know Vincent Price's character is among one of his best. And uh, I mean, speak, talk about. The mixture of comedy and horror. I mean, this is probably, I mean, this is a film that quite simply has very few scares. And yet, I, you know, I don't think there's a single horror fan in the world that wouldn't feel comfortable calling this a horror. So I think it totally throws that idea that horror movies have to be scary away. And it's like, it's, it doesn't, that's not necessarily like, you know, the principal form of how you maybe respond to the, to the genre is not necessarily how it's defined. But what what in can, can you can you speak to a specific scene or anything that makes that makes this film so interesting for you as a as a British horror film? I mean, there's a number. I mean, I think just like the opening scene on the piano uh, or the organ is is one of the best like introductions into a film. Um, and uh, is like rather than I guess speak to a kill in particular, the inventiveness of the kills I think will will embed themselves into sort of um, also you know the ongoing slasher craze as we get a bunch of these really si silly sort of really gory slasher movies where the killer doesn't have necessarily a, a kill style mm. and finds a different way to kill each character so yeah it's almost like it's almost like this um blue it's almost like this blueprint that it did it its own like campy way but ended up going on with a lot of films and, and clearly you know fives is part of a trajectory it's not it's not in inventing this style either but it's definitely stamping it with it's a singular uh with like a totally singular uh message what what do you not think what, what, style. What, what do you think of it as as making it british as it were as opposed to oh, listeners wouldn't be, would be could find it pretty obvious that you're american so for an american viewer of something like this how does it how does it show off something that is atypically british to your your eyes and ears yeah, I, I guess that's the, the, the cheat in the most. I don't, I don't, tech, I mean, especially with, you know, American International, uh, releasing it. This does, this does, I guess, in, in my mind, not necessarily feel like a total British film, but when I'm looking at it, I mean, I'm looking at, you know, it's, uh, you know, the money. I, I think there's more than national cinema that's just, that is necessarily just, this is a film that feels British, I think, or, you know, anywhere. I think that sort of undermines, what national cinema can mean. Mm. And I think you do have to start bringing consideration where national cinema started to collaborate. So co-productions offer a really interesting, um, look at how different, different people can work together. And I do think that in a lot of ways, 
Um, I don't want to speak too much for this because I'm not British and I'm not an expert on um, sort of British um, demeanor. But it, I think that the way that the comedy plays itself in this film fe- doesn't feel incredibly American in a lot of ways. Mm. So I, I do think if I were to press myself that I would, I would, I would be able to find the reasons why this maybe stands as, uh, you know, sets itself apart from other films, especially American, especially like AIP films from the era. Now, now just going back to what you said before, which I think is interesting is this idea of, of something being horror. That's not scary. I think you said, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it bothers me when, when a horror movie comes out and it's like, this is the most terrifying film of the year. I think this only happens in like comedy and horror where the <laughs> only way to like it is if you either never stop laughing or never stop uh, being scared, hmm. which is like, I don't know. It's kind of shit. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't, I don't, I'm not someone that's typically um, afraid of horror movies anymore. So it doesn't seem fair to me if I'm, I, I do get creeped out every once in a while and that's great. And I will admit it when I get legitimately scared during a horror movie, mm. I appreciate that feeling, but I don't think it's the only reason to appreciate these genres. So I'm, I'm very critical of, of, um, language when it's used that way. It's almost like the, uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't, isn't it? About, about what, what makes people think of horror as being low rent and then, when something good comes along, it's like, well, it can't be horror then because it's good. Well, yeah, we were talking about that before where like, you know, you know, even, even us as horror fans will probably internalize that at some point. <laughs> I mean, if you think about talking to someone that you don't know or something and they're like, what are your favorite kind of movies? You might stutter before you say horror movies sometimes, not always, mm. but maybe sometimes depending on the person you're talking to. Cause it like, you don't know what that's going to say to that person. You know, if you say, there's a lot of other things you can say that. There you go. Oh my word! No, my um, the last time the last time I got that where I was kind of mistaken was somebody said, "What's your favorite film?" and I went Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They went, "What your favorite film ever? How can that be your favorite film ever?" I'm like, "It is." Yeah, <laughs> it should be. You know, and people forget. You know, like that. It's you know, I don't know. I mean, we should move on. I guess we're we're thing, but I just think that yeah. Even those, even those people outside of the horror community who who find ways to respect horror are often critical of it. More so, like are are often too critical of it too. Maybe mm. not more so, but I think that it's very rare to find people who are not in the community in some way that are um, not critical of it in some way that is probably built mostly on, you know hearsay or something or an unfamiliarity with the history of the genre in full now now your next film that you've chosen is one that um is it's sort of like i was happy to see some you know when you, you you're growing up and you're getting a lot of what what you feel like is american horror fair getting thrown at you when i was this is like my formative years the next film that you've chosen um, mm-hmm. when hardware came along in 1990 it was like manna from heaven because there was like there wasn't anybody doing films like this in Britain, and then suddenly we get this film. Um, so what 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 for you is uh, is because 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 at the time you had the kind of you know the notion that just, oh, it's just some Terminator knockoff, and you're like, how can you say that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's I mean it's clearly probably was as successful as it was because of that and maybe got its finance. And, you know, there's all of the things that you can say 
But what you can't say is this movie is a knockoff of Terminator. I mean, this movie is – I mean, the reason I had to choose something from Stanley is that I think that Stanley offers one of the, like, highest visionary – like, one of the mm. highest visionary directors that the horror genre has had in, you know, I guess sort of contemporary or modern. I mean, Stanley's still working. Um, you know, it's I, – I, I struggle to say contemporary. Obviously, this is now – <laughs> you know quite removed but i think you know if we're if we're gonna go again to talk about you know co-productions and what i think that this film seems seems very much a comment on it, like american cinema and, and america and uh i think that's what that sort of synthesis between like this british and american sensibilities coming together is is what's so brilliant about it is that it's like it almost works as satire in a lot of ways really cool i mean i just think that it's like you know it's it's you know i i think of the image of the of um the robot with uh you know with the american flag on it and mm. or you know and i just think it seems like this and it you know i don't want to go too far into that but i think that you know it almost seems very aware of its audience and sort of the global film market coming out of america mm. and able to sort of be critical of sort of that giant and a sort of America as a superpower too, while also, you know, operating as this post-apocalyptic sort of genre fair. And I think obviously, I think on a, on a much tinier budget, it manages to get that kind of grimy dystopia feel of Blade Runner running through it as well. I think. Absolutely. I mean, the, the look and the feel of the film, I think both this and dust devil, like the look and the feel of the films are like really incredible. I mean, I was, uh, you know, it's you know it's hard to choose between them. I think that hardware comes to mind more as as something that sticks with me a little more. But I think you know really I think he's he's so incredible. And obviously you know the films that he didn't make, the films that he will make. Um, I'm excited to see what his career continues to do too. I hope that he still has another um, you know masterpiece in him. What do you, what do you think makes what do you think this film shows evidence of a visionary in a way? I mean, principally, it's fairly low budget. I mean, for 1990, it's not incredibly low budget, but it's not it's not a major budget film. But I think what you said, in in, in being able to depict uh, like a post-apocalyptic uh, near future, um, sort of dealing with these cyberpunk elements which by 1990 are not novel anymore i mean it's not really totally cyberpunk but you know it has a little bit of that has a little bit of that sort of um retro future feel to it i mean the sound the soundtrack's littered with the knowingness of that isn't it yeah and yeah of course i mean every element is it's it's sort of present at all times but in the same in the same stretch i think that both of us agree that you can't look at this film and find it um to be at all um harping on other people in a way that is disingenuous or something it's it's all very clearly part of a of a unique style that stanley has mm. and um you know i mean this is one that it's been it's been a few years since i've seen it so like, specific scenes aren't aren't necessarily creeping up as as much right now on the on the moment but i just think that everything working together i just think that stanley has this really vibrant energy to him too, especially the the way that the film's edited. It's, it's, you know, like I said, someone who can turn basically like, you know, a minimum of like nine years of of films kind of coming out like this, you know, post uh, Blade Runner's, you know, 
not success, obviously, but, you know, like, continued success over the years and other films have come out and films that came out before that and films that came out after. Um, I do think that this just is able to stand on its own and not feel at all like anything that is cribbing um, another film and just an inferior piece. And, you know, this is not, uh, you know, Rodor or something that is like, you know, but quite clearly a response to something and doesn't necessarily have the the energy and the soul as as the thing it's trying to do. And there's uh, Edgar Broughton, just to bring you to a close there. Mm-hmm. No, I love that film. I love Hardware. It's, uh, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. It's a fantastic film. I mean, it's one that like, <laughs> just, like knocks you on your ass. Right then. So for, for your last one, we're going to jump into the 21st century. Uh, yeah, and sadly, my only female director. Yes, indeed. Yeah, but but it's a, it's a, it's a barnstormer of a film. And, it, and this, is, this is the first time... This has appeared in a, in a in a five great British horror films. So uh, hats off to you for uh, for putting this one forward. We need to talk about Kevin. Yeah, I mean, it's actually kind of surprising to me. I guess maybe some people wouldn't classify this as horror, but I mean, I don't know what you do classify it if the <laughs> if you can't classify this movie as horror. I mean, quite literally, this is a movie about a mother who has zero understanding of her son. And I don't know. I don't know what is. I don't know what is a bit better topic for horror than be- truly believing that someone who lives in your house, um, you don't know what they're capable of. And uh, I'm, I guess I'm in a little bit of a unique position. I, I did read the book, um, at, but after I saw the film. So the first okay. time I was experienced this, it was purely like Lynn Ramsey's um, interpretation of the novel. But years later, I decided that like, that there seemed to be something not there and that I really was interested. And I read the novel and the novel gives a lot more insight, but still that aspect. And I think actually, um, and I, ne- I almost never do this, but this is one of the few instances. And the reason I'll do it is because it's the exception to the rule. Um, I'm not really interested in talking about adaptations in terms of the book is better than the movie. Cause quite almost always the book is better than the movie. Cause they have far more they can do with the, with, with, you know, interiority and all of these aspects. This is one of few instances where I truly find the film to be far more interesting than the book. Um, I did like the book, but I, I think that, uh, the film, the film puts you more in the feel of what it's, what it's like to live with someone like that. Cause you don't get, you also don't get all of, um, uh, Tilda Swinton's character's interiority as much either. I mean, like you're sort of, it's far more, you know, outsider as a as an audience member in the book. Is, I mean, it, I've not read the book, so in the book, I think, from what I understand, is that the uh, the idea of a woman not loving her son, never mind the fact the son is appearing to be evil incarnate and complex and impossible to make good, as it were. Mm-hmm. But it's also the idea of a the the shocking revelation to a woman that she might not love her own son. Is that is that? I mean, I know, I know that's borne out in the film still, but I imagine, yeah. I imagine in the book that that's where we go in her head, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, it's a woman who's not sure she's fit to be a mother, or and certainly not sure she's fit to be the mother of this child. Um, and it's about, I think it's it's you know it's dealing with you know obviously the pressure is on women to you know fill a specific role at a specific time in her life. I mean, I think the interesting thing about both the film and the book is that she has a second child and she feels connected to the second child, but not the, but not the first. Mm. Um, but I think it's also more interesting than even just saying evil incarnate because it's not, I don't think that, um, 
you know, the Kevin character is necessarily evil. He's, 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 he's void. He doesn't like, he's, he's, he's so desperate for, I, I almost feel his actions are just to prove to himself he could do it. Not because he actually necessarily feels the need to do it. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a terribly complicated film. And I do think that, um, you know, told through it's, it, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with the novel, but the novel's told through a series of letters. Mm, uh, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. um, she's writing letters to her husband, which as if you've seen the film, there's a gut punch that I knew was going to happen the entire book. Um, so that kind of took that away from me, but still it, it works pretty well. And this, I think that Lynn Ramsey is, is quite, quite clearly one of the most incredible directors. And she has this ability to create these like, dreamscape scenes that are so harrowing i mean uh did you see um you were never really here yet yeah 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 Yeah. so the first time i saw i mean i still haven't seen the new cut i saw it in Cannes last year and i guess that was a that wasn't a finalized cut but Mm -hmm. i remember thinking i liked it but there was only a few scenes but there's one scene in particular towards the end of the film that i'm sure you know and like that scene just grabbed me as being so much a product of her imagination because it's this odd moment where you like leave reality but enter into this world that has been created solely by the character but it's seamless and it comes in and out and it's these, amazing like, it's brilliant amazing. moments yeah and i think lynn is like she's been able to create that sort of style up all to herself and you know that's the mark of a great filmmaker to me it's not even necessarily that they create great films every time but it's like they can create moments that completely pull you out and you know that you're watching something by them. I mean, I guess that's sort of auteur theory or something, but without necessarily the baggage. No, no, and that's a, a fairly good point to uh, to end it on. That that five that five minutes flew by. Yeah, that one did. <laughs> She's uh, no, well, it's I think I think I think I think Lynn Ramsey's going to be you know. Gonna, if she's not already in in some people's eyes, she's she's going to be seen as like one of the great Brit filmmakers. I think it's if she's not already seen that way with, and like you say, it's not about every film being a success, but it's about it's about someone who's trying to be interesting. And I think that's that's something we want to ask more filmmakers to be because to be meat and two veg is a there's lots of directors doing that, isn't there? Whereas I feel like. She, she understands how visceral to me anyway she understands how visceral you can make cinema but then not leave all the beauty behind it in, in its place it's like you still get that as well absolutely i mean i do think that she will be she will she is and will be a talked about filmmaker and will never go away as long as we're still talking about film mm. i think it's a shame that it seems that there's difficulties in in, in on set or something mm. as, from, as far as what I hear. And I won't, yeah. I won't talk to what they are because it's as far as I know hearsay, but I do think that she struggles to get her vision across. And I think that, you know, recently um, um, Ezra Miller had a great quote, you know, that basically said, you know, I hope it doesn't take another, what was it? 13 years or something since the mm. last film yeah, yeah. for her, for her to be, or no, it wasn't 13 years. Cause I'm, cause we didn't talk about it only seven years ago, but however long it was, you know, that was her last film, right? She, yeah, she so, was yeah, on, an, yeah, cause she was on another film, but she right, got, yeah. yes. she got taken off the project. So yeah, I mean, it took her seven years to get, to get another film completely by her off the ground and released. So it's like, you know, I think he's right in saying, you know, Lynn Ramsey should when Lynn Ramsey wants to make a film we should be allowing her to make a film like <laughs> no one should be stopping her no but I think I think that talks to a, a different age we live in I, I was fortunate to interview Larry Smith uh, the, the 
Kubrick's DLP on Eyes Wide Shut and yes. Wyden Reference DLP on a load of films, including Only God Forgives, which is why I wanted to do it. And I asked him what he felt about the comparisons between the two filmmakers. Um, and he just he just said it's not fair. He said it's, he said it doesn't bear. He doesn't stand up. He said when Kubrick was making his films, he was given all the time he needed to do anything he wanted. He said Nicholas Wynne Reference is making films against a load of resistance that says we don't want you to make a film. <laughs> you know, yeah. So he's so he, the manage the, the fact that he manages to make films that are interesting is against the odds that people like him should be making movies. Whereas Kubrick was left to make films. <laughs> yeah, people forget that. Refn scored really big with Pusher and mm. then failed so miserably that he almost ended his career mm. and was so in debt that he only made Pusher 2 and 3 to get out of debt. Yeah. I mean, this is a man that, like, I will I will say Fear X is not a good film. I don't, I mean, it, it's it's okay. It's not mm. a great film. Um, it's my least favorite Refn film. Uh, but he went for it. Um, and, you know, he lost big on it and i think that refin is if love him or hate him refin is not a new filmmaker it's absurd that we i think it's absurd that people still talk about him as if he's this young filmmaker he's been making movies for over two decades now mm. <laughs> three yeah, decades yeah, yeah. almost yeah, yeah, true, yeah, you know yeah, true. so it's like he's he's established himself you know and you know it's he's 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 you know, he does a lot with a little. He does. I mean, drive, and he, you know, Drive, I'm sure the script for Drive was not a good script. You know, mm-hmm. some people think it's not a good film, but he turned what I, what I would assume after seeing Two Faces of January that the Drive writer directed, mm-hmm. that, um, which isn't a bad film. It's just a, it's just a very generic genre. It's just like a very, very generic, you know, like noir, you know, noir or something. I think the Drive was quite, quite apparently probably a very, very typical action film. That Re- that Refn knew how to change and knew how to make something different without necessarily changing the words on script, which is to me that's the mark. That's another mark of a great director. No, totally. No, look, let's uh, let's do a quick recap on your five. So we had 1960s Peeping Tom, we had mm-hmm. 1965 Repulsion, we had 1971 The Abominable Doctor, F- Abominable Doctor Fives, and we jump hot footed it to 1990, and then we had Hardware. And then 2011, we need to talk about Kevin. Now, this isn't to say that there is, but listening to that list read back to you now, do you think there's anything, any common ground that links the five in in your in what in what you like about film? Yeah, I mean, tortured characters. For sure. <laughs> hardware is kind of the hardware is a little bit of the odd man out. I mean, that shows. I think that shows that I'm not only singularly interested in one topic, and I do love to go with far more. Um, I mean, like, let's be real. Hardware is a very smart film, but it's very, it's also very much like, you know, a, a, like a romp where these other films are far more, well, I guess, you know, Fives too, but Fives is also about a very tortured central character. So if I were to say, I guess, character studies, you know, films about human, human psychology are probably films I'm more drawn to. Indeed, indeed. Well, look, thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was great.
The BritFlix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv.